The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's your host, Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Online Radio. My name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and I'm your host. So here on Spirit of Recovery, we talk about how spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your recovery journey. Now this program is open to everybody, addicts, alcoholics, family members, friends, coworkers, anybody whose life has been touched by addiction. According to recent research, over 46% of the American public has a family member or friend that struggles with an addiction issue. And so addiction touches about half of us. And so we want to share the hope that's to be found in recovery. So our goal is to carry the message of spirituality in recovery. We explore the many faces of spirituality through the experiences of and lessons learned by those who have taken this journey. We hope that you will not only hear a few things you already know, but also get new ideas and information, new perspectives, and perhaps even some tips that you can put to practical use in your own journey. We know that you will deepen your own spiritual walk in recovery as a result. So please tell your friends in your recovery circles and even family members about this show and invite them to join us online or by downloading the podcast later from the podcast library that's got over seven years of recovery-oriented radio shows. Podcasts are available through Stitcher, iTunes, Alexa, or just on the web. Just search for Spirit of Recovery. So we want to say thank you to everybody that's joining us today. Thank you for listening. And so the spiritual principle of courage is one of the tenets of the 12-step program, and that's the principle that we're focusing on this month. And in today's show, titled Addicted to Drama, we talk with our guest, Deb H., who has joined us from um, the Unity Church of Ames. Deb is the, serves as the minister at the Unity Church of Ames and has been a Unity Truth student since 1989. And she completed her training at her home church, Unity Village. So you've got quite a lot of experience to share with us, Deb, and we appreciate you being with us today. Well, hi there. Hello. Hi there. Yes. I'm here. So I'm glad that you're here to share your experience and strength and hope. You know, you've you've really had quite the journey when we were talking earlier, um, you know, growing up with addiction present in a family and then yeah. forming your ideal family and then things not working out. Um, yeah. would, you, would you share a little bit about your early experiences and, and how all of that came together? Yes, I um, grew up with an alcoholic mom and um, and a family that that you know when you've got the person in the family with alcoholism, the whole family organizes itself around that problem and and so that just takes up all the emotional energy in the house and all the attention. So it was a really challenging and difficult um, childhood. Um, and you don't you don't know what normal really is um, because the adults in your life aren't there for you, so you're left on your own to figure out a lot of things and to try to make your way um, without a lot of support. Um, I was the oldest and grew up Catholic and you know wanted us to be functioning like the other families and how I thought they were functioning. But alcoholism is like that hidden secret thing. You don't talk about it. 
and you know we didn't talk about it it was just always there and i think that causes a lot of shame and a lot of um um confusion in kids as they're developing because you know it's not normal for mom to just fall over because she's passing out but you know you learn to accommodate those kinds of things when you live in an alcoholic family um and so that's what I basically learned how to do. Um, and so you were the oldest. Yes, I was. So and you, in essence, became a surrogate parent. I did. Um, my sister is eight years younger, and so that really, um, yes, I did become that surrogate parent for her, especially later in life. So it was a, you know, what I discovered was I was really good at school, and so that became my escape. And mm-hmm. that I was a good student, and that would be my ticket out of this nightmare. And I'd go to college, I'd leave, and I'd, I'd find a different way. And, you know, that's all a really good intention, and it worked for a while. Um, I left, you know, it's one of those things, when I was in school as a kid, I prayed and prayed and prayed for my mother to stop drinking, and that never happened. And while I was in school and going through school, um, I would pray, and I didn't understand prayer. It was it was more like, God, can't you do something about this? And, mm. and that... That resulted in my kind of getting really um, firing God um, because I just really couldn't connect. Um, I'd pray for things and they didn't turn out in any way like I wanted them to. And so the sense that God was there for me was just wasn't real. It didn't feel real to me. Um, and so when I graduated from high school, I I left the Catholic Church, and I fired God, basically, um, because I just didn't think that it made any sense. And so that that was a time in the wilderness after that. Um, But the the early experiences were were fairly traumatic um, and left me with not a lot of a sense of who I was. Um, it was more a sense of who I was in reaction to, rather than finding who who I really was. Um, so it was based it, on your coping skills. Yes. Plus, um, it was a great setup for codependency. You know, it, it was just the perfect codependent recipe. I was the oldest child. I was a girl. Um, I'm a one on the Enneagram, so I could really dig in and take charge and try to look good and make everything be all right. You know, um, I was the classic hero of the family, um, thinking that if I could control things and make things look good, that it would be okay. I could make it turn out okay. And and I really worked hard at that. Um, you know, I was a good student and got really good grades so that it, it, it was just the classic setup for for thinking that you have to do everything perfectly and you have to look good. And and that that is not the happiest way to live. <laughs> it's not um, and then you get into you don't want anybody to find out what the real truth is. So you're living with this this foreboding sense of shame that, oh my God, what if they find out? What if they really know what my life is like? What if they know about my mom? What if they know? And and then when I was in high school, my parents got divorced, and this was in the the late '60s, and that's not that was also a source of shame within Catholicism at that time. So I really you know, set out to leave all of it behind and remake myself. And I don't think that that's a 
a bad intention. It simply wasn't grounded in anything, um, I would say, spiritual or um, healthy. Yeah. See, so many times we do that. We do a geographic. We change everything on the outside and say, okay, that's over. Uh, yeah. That. Thank you. That's. It was a geographic cure. Um, I left St. Louis. That's where I grew up. And, you know, I couldn't leave there fast enough because I felt like if I stayed there, I wouldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. Um, I couldn't find out anything about who I was. And so I, got, I left. I got married. And I basically fled. Um, but the truth is, wherever you are, there you are. And whatever those unhealed issues and whatever that trauma is, you take it with you. Um, and my mother was not a nice um, drunk. Um, she would get angry, and she would say mean and nasty things, and she would she was violent. So it was really, really not, um, it wasn't just um, uncomfortable, it was really scary with her, and and it did not, it didn't get any better. In fact, she died of alcoholism um, when she was only 49, and I was mm-hmm. 24, so... You know, that there was a relief to that because I didn't have to explain it, and it was a normal thing to have people have um, expressed sympathy because I'd lost my mother. Um, it was weird because there was a relief to it in some ways, and I didn't, um, I didn't know how to explain that. Um, yeah, you talked about the cognitive dissonance of feeling glad but sad and dealing with the grief around all that. Yes, yes. It was a very complex grieving process because I was also grieving what I had never had. Um, But I was determined to make the best of it. And, you know, my life script was, how do you make lemonade out of all these lemons? Um, and, And to some extent, I was able to do that. And yet... um. You know, family patterns repeat, and so I was attracted to someone that created a lot of drama, and I I was willing to rescue him and go through all of that same kind of stuff all over again, which I think is a common story in alcoholic families until you recognize how it's impacted you. And I um, I didn't really understand how it had impacted me um, until much later. What were some of the coping skills that you came out of that childhood with? Well, I think the primary one was think your way through things. And I didn't, I wasn't connected to my feelings. Um, And so when you're not connected to your feelings, you do things without you say yes to something without understanding how you really feel about it. And so my coping strategy was really to think about it rather than have an integrated response of, well, I think this, but what does my heart really say? Mm -hmm. And I think I didn't know how to listen to myself. I didn't know how to account for what I really felt about something, Um, how I really how I really showed up with it. Um, and that that was a big problem, really, um, because I said yes, actually, to getting married to my first husband, even though I didn't recognize the still small voice at the time, but it was screaming at me to not do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But I didn't listen because I didn't know what that was. Um, it wasn't until much later that, and getting into unity, that I began to understand what that voice was, and that it was saying to me, "This isn't really good for you." But I didn't have enough of a sense of myself to um, to listen to it. I, I really couldn't listen to it and act on it. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard it, but I couldn't act on it. And you have to have enough self-esteem, enough of a sense of yourself to be able to act on it. And my coping strategy was to define myself in relationship to someone else. So that was my husband. And then he becomes the most important person in your life. And I think that's a fallacy. I think, you know, our partners are very important, but I think our relationship with God has to be more important. And the one thing that he and I did together was hate religion and hate God. He'd grown up with a a minister father, and that was uh, very difficult for him. And um, actually, the marriage fell apart when he came out of the closet. But I didn't... um, I didn't quite know what to do with that. That was that was absolutely traumatic for me. Um, and it was a recreation. It's, it's really strange that everything that happened to me happened to me at the same age that it had happened to my mother. Um, she was 38 when she and my dad we're going through divorce. She had two girls. I had two girls. It's weird how these family patterns repeat. Um, and there was a lot of drama and, and craziness with my first husband. And did you feel like you were crazy? Um, yeah, sometimes I did. Well, because codependency makes you crazy. <laughs> it makes you... <laughs> It makes you care more about how the other person's doing than you are. How, are, how am I doing? And I'm do, only doing okay if they're doing okay. That's codependency, right? Yes. And if they're not okay, then I'm a mess. And um, and it took me a lot of energy to to differentiate, to stand up for myself, to say no, um to him in our marriage. And, you know, he would rage and tantrum when I did, which was my mother. So it was the same energy. And I recognized it, and yet I felt so powerless to do anything about it. And it was a, it was really an unhealthy relationship. Um, but it was familiar. And I think that's, you know, we get these patterns as children we kind of imprint to them, right? And we we get these patterns, and then we act them out. We create them until we can recognize that we're doing that. Um, in in my um, college years, I left the Catholic Church and I majored in religion and philosophy because I wanted to explore how how other there were other ways to think about God in the world than what I had learned in Catholicism. And so I I studied that to get my thinking clearer. And then I went on to graduate school in psychology so I could figure out my emotional, the emotional mess that I was in and, um, and begin to pick up the pieces because I kind of knew things were a mess for me. Um, but I didn't understand exactly how. And because it, it looked okay on the outside. Yeah, um, and I had made it work in terms of I got married, I got, I went to graduate school, we bought a house, we had children, all of those things, the looking good part. I knew how to do that. But underneath, there wasn't, there wasn't enough... Um, emotional stability to sustain it. And um, then when he came out of the closet, that just, it was like um, somebody took the bottom out of my birdcage and it just all fell on the floor, you know, everything. My whole life just fell right there on the floor. And So that uh, moment of clarity for you? It was a moment of panic. Okay. <laughs> it was it was this moment of the clarity was things are never ever going to be the same. 
Mm. It's just not going to be like it was. And, you know, in, in hindsight, I can say that I knew something was wrong, but I didn't quite know what, and I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how to impact that. Um, and I didn't have enough self-esteem to stand up and say, no, this something's really wrong here. Um, I went for counseling because I knew I needed some help. So I had therapy um, and did counseling. Um, and then, interestingly enough, he did, and it was that counseling that helped him come to grips with needing to come out and to own that he was gay. Um, and that, you know, that was real and wasn't going to go away. And so now you have a family. Right. And you have the situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, two small children. They were ages two and three at the time. And I, it was, it was a dark, dark, dark time. Um, the only thing you, you said it was in a moment of clarity and the only clarity was that it was never going to be like it was, but I had no clear picture of how it could be or how it would be. And so that- I felt like I was losing my best friend. Um, the person that I had counted on to figure out life together with, and and now I was alone, and I'd never ever been alone like that before, with just myself and God to try to figure that out. And I'd fired God, so um, it was a lonely time. So how did you find your way out of that? Well, I had... Um, when I was, when he came out of the closet, I went to a therapist who asked me to tell him my story. And he was a therapist who was somebody knowledgeable about people coming out at an older age. And so he understood the dynamics of what that would mean. And... I was describing my childhood and my mother and the alcoholism, and he said to me, well, what, did, what have you done about your ACA issues? And I remember saying, ACA, what's that? And he said, well, you, are, you said you're an adult child of an alcoholic. Your mother was an alcoholic. And I said, well, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> and... As it turns out, it had everything to do. Um, and so he pointed me in the direction of um, 12 Steps, the 12-step group for adult children and alcoholics. And, and then he also recommended a therapist who specialized in adult ch- children issues. And um I remember I went to my first ACA meeting and I was terrified. Um, I had this, you know, I really had a lot of defenses that I was okay, I had conquered this, and um, that it really hadn't, you know, it really hadn't impacted me. You know, there's, we tell ourselves these, um, well, denial is not a river in Egypt, right? <laughs> I was yes. living in denial of that this, this really had any impact on me. And in fact, I sat in the first meeting and there was part of me crying because I finally felt like I was somewhere where I fit, that I wasn't abnormal. I was with people whose lives had been like mine. And there was a part of me that was still clinging to, but it didn't really matter because it didn't impact me like these people. Um, so it, so it took a lot of meetings before I began to say, yeah, this is where I belong. So that's that part of learning to identify with instead of um, how, how you're the same, not different. Yeah. Yeah. And so what kept, what kept you going back to the meetings? Well, 
um, the people and the program. Um, as I listened to their stories and I began telling my story, one of the things it does for you is you begin to listen. Because while other people are talking, everybody listens. And, you know, every every week I would go and say, yeah, I'm Deb, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. And, you know, there was a lot of shame with that. And and then I began to realize, but I didn't, you know, you know, I didn't cause it, I can't cure it, right? And you begin to differentiate that this is who you are, but you're, you are yourself. You are not um, joined at the hip with the alcoholic. You are not joined at the hip with the, um, the addict. And that you have your own identity and your sense of yourself. And, you know, I began to understand what boundaries were. You know, boundaries for myself, within myself, um, and that I needed to develop some boundaries and have a bottom line of what was okay and what wasn't okay, what I would do, what I wouldn't do, and then have the courage to back that up with action. And I would say that, you know, in the 12-step program, I learned how to do that. And so you got you got tools there. Yes, yes. And I got a sponsor, and I got people who I could call when I was feeling shaky about this, and that, you know, I knew that if I did certain things to take action on my own behalf, um, I would... Um, I would get pushback from him um, that I would, I would, he would rage. And I, you know, that was terrifying to me. So it was like, you know, my inner child used to do anything to keep my mother peaceful um, until she passed out so I would be safe. And so I, I learned I had really high safety needs, right? I had to control everything to be safe. And um, the other thing that happened in, this experience was listening to the, um, in ACA, we read the solution and the problem, you know, the problem and the solution. Um, and it took me probably six months before I realized that everything, you know, in the problem applied to me. Um, I was dependent personality, scared to do anything in order, willing to do anything in order not to be abandoned emotionally. And it took me a long time to realize that I had abandoned myself emotionally. So to be there for myself was the biggest thing that I had to learn how to do. And that to check in with myself, to know, wait a minute, to recognize that when I didn't, agree with something that my throat would close up or I'd feel a knot in my stomach or my neck would get tight and recognize that and say, oh, those are the signals that this isn't okay with you and that I could speak up and say that I'm not in alignment with this. This is not okay with me. So this um, is where you kind of started getting connected back to your feelings. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Connected to my feelings, and that, you know, therapy helped me do that. And mm -hmm. and then, you know, I had been living in my bo in my head, right, thinking everything through. Now I, I began to connect to my feelings, and, you know, I was, and I started grieving. I could grieve the loss of this marriage. Um, I could grieve the loss of this dream. Divorce is like this loss of a dream, right? It's, it's not going to turn out the fairy tale that you were hoping for. Um, you know, I'm not going to, he's not going to rescue me, and I'm not rescuing him. You give up that kind of, well, we call it stinking thinking, you know, and you start letting go of that. And for a while, it's like, how do I cope when I'm not rescuing everybody? Right, so, we have to learn a whole new set of coping skills. Yes. And Once I learned we... how to be alone with myself and that I could be alone and take care of myself and 
actually enjoy my own company and and be just fine. And that's a great point for us to just pause at this moment because we're going to need to take a break here in a, in a, about 10 seconds. So when we come back, we'll start with the Serenity Minute, a brief moment just to focus on a positive thought, and then you and I will continue our conversation picking up right where we left off. Sounds good. to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting. No more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Well, welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're here today. And if you're just joining us, our guest is Reverend Deb Hill Davis. And before we continue our conversation that we had prior to the break, please join me as we take a few moments to center ourselves in the Serenity Minute. And so as we pause... I invite you to take a moment to take a deep breath, to relax and focus on this constructive thought. With the power of perseverance, I can transform my life. I step forward with courage. Let's just hold that thought. Thank you for joining me in this Serenity Minute. Now, Deb, before the break, you were talking about how you got reconnected to yourself and how you were able to be alone with yourself and and lose that loneliness you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the other thing I learned how to do was um, reach out when I needed to connect with someone. Um, because alcoholism and living with um, addictive, crazy behavior is very isolating. And, you know, um, 
having a list of people who were also at the meeting, we had a phone list, and I had people I could call and just say, I'm really having a hard day. I'm just not feeling okay today. Like, I can't do this. And I would hear, I would, I, they would share their experience, strength, and hope. And they would say, there was an acronym, um, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. <laughs> and, you know, I just needed somebody to ask me, are you hungry? Have you eaten today? Are you, you know, are you angry? What can you do with that? Um, because one of the things I connected with was an, was a lot of anger. And then, are you lonely? Well, uh, yeah, you reached out. Good for you. And are you tired? And just having somebody who would ask me those questions, and then I answered, I had to think about it and respond, um, gave me practice in checking in with myself um, on those just very basic issues. Um, so I would, so I learned to take care of myself. I learned to, to ask those questions and pay attention to what I needed. Um, I also learned that my needs counted too. My needs mattered, and I could ask for something I needed. And um, I learned to say no, which was also something that I never felt I could directly say. Um, um, no, I, I'm not willing to do that. Um, and then, so those were skills that really began to help me um, climb out of the pit. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and you mentioned anger. Yes. And you were talking earlier about how angry you were with God. You fired him, and yet you studied all about God in you know one of your undergrad degrees. Right. And... And then you get in a 12-step program, the whole purpose of which is to help you form a relationship with a higher power that you understand. Right. So how did that work? Oh, How did you find God? That. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was an interesting process because underneath it all, you know, one of the things that the 12-step says is the God of your understanding. And I found that to be really helpful um, because it didn't prescribe how God needed to be. Just that there was a power greater than me that could restore me to sanity or wholeness. And when your life becomes unmanageable, well, it was. And so I really was at that step one surrender place. And um, at about a month after I went to my first ACA meeting, And this was in the summer of 89, and it was a month after he had come out of the closet. Um, And he already had a boyfriend, so it was just, like, in my face. Um, My sister came to visit, and she had been going to a unity church. And she said to me, "Um, have you ever heard of unity? And I said, no, what's that, Unitarian? Like, a lot of people do, and she said, no, it's unity. It's like Christian science, but they don't have all the things about doctors and going to doctors and medicine. Um, but it's really been helping me. Um, so we looked it up in the phone book. Back then, you know, no Internet. We used the phone book and found a unity church in Des Moines, where I live, and um, we went there that Sunday. And I had never been to a place like that before. I walked in the door, and across the front of the sanctuary above the platform was God is Love. And on the back wall, it said God is Love. You could see God is Love coming and going. And it was, I heard a message that I didn't think was possible. It was, it was positive. It was, um, you know, God loves you, and this whole, um, just a whole new way of thinking about God. And I remember we got to the peace song, and everybody's holding hands, and I just started to cry. I couldn't get through it. I couldn't sing it, because I was just overcome um, with emotion. And the emotion was um, 
really that feeling of being at home. And this is where I belong. So I had two places in my life now where I fit. I fit in the 12-step program for adult children of alcoholics, and I fit in Unity Church. Because I didn't have to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. I didn't have to agree to believe anything. Um, I simply had to come and listen, and listen to Unity Principles, listen to the message, and see, you know, it was a lot like the 12-step, take what you like and leave the rest. And so I could I could eat the sandwich one bite at a time. I didn't have to agree to everything. It was just an amazing experience for me. Um, and it cracked my heart open. You know, it was heart-opening in that I could begin to let light come through the cracks in my life as it had fallen apart. And I could, you know, um, my two prayers became the serenity prayer, you know, and um, the prayer for protection. You know, I, and I they were like a mantra then that could help me when I really got into a dark space or I felt like this was never going to get better. Um, I My parents... It's odd, today, the 17th of April, is the anniversary of my parents' divorce. Um, that we are talking today is really interesting. Um, and today's daily word was, let go and let God. And yes, it I was. Began, hmm? yes, yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> I thought, well, that's appropriate. Um, because I began to do that. I began to trust that, um, that God was a loving God, not a judging God. And that that the energy of God in me was was very vibrant and strong and clear, and it would it was the energy to call on to carry me through those dark times. Because um, we also then went through bankruptcy, so it was just one crazy thing after another. Um, and so I began to just work with spiritual principles and the 12 steps to, um, to, to walk the path, um, to walk the path of recovery. So um, how, did, how did your unity principles support that? Is there a particular one? Well, I think that the very first one was, you know, that there's only one power and one presence, and that's God, and God is in good. Um, and that the power of that, that goodness, that light, um, that creative power, that energy of goodness, I, I could um, kind of take hold of it, as Charles Fillmore said, you know, and, um, and then I think the prayer and meditation piece, you know, that that goodness was in me and... I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to do penance. I didn't have to do any of the, you know, I didn't have to earn it. I simply had to awaken to it and wake up to it. That's what really began. Um, And then faith, the sense of, you know, I can't see it yet, but I can, you know, I can see it even though it's not there yet. That whole... Um, trusting that that the universe is um, rigged in our favor, that God's will for me was good and only good. That's one of the mantras that I held on to. God's will for me is good and only good. Um, and for me, that was like part of the 12th step, and it was part of um, the first step, the first principle, you know, that there is goodness and that that's where I'm going, a sense of direction. I want to go in the direction of that goodness and I want that goodness to manifest in my life. And I believe that it will. I don't know exactly how, but I know that it will. And so I keep praying to open to that goodness and praying that, you know, um, I might have abandoned God, but God had not abandoned me. 
And that's the piece, I think, that really kept carrying me through um, and trusting that whatever the outer conditions were right now, this too shall pass. Um, and it came to pass. So let it pass knowing that um, continuing to work the program, continuing to walk the path of recovery and to walk a spiritual path, more that is good will continue to manifest in my life. And that's the path I chose to walk. Um, Even as divorce and bankruptcy and all of that really awful stuff continued to unfold. Um, And I continued to grieve and cry and release, you know, know, what had been. and let go of the dream. It wasn't going to happen like that. And so I just had to let go of that. And so, but but having that positive path to walk that gave me hope um, allowed me to let go. It gave me the strength to let go of the dream of the marriage that wasn't going to be. And then it gave me the courage to look at all the ways that alcoholism had really impacted me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it sounds a lot like um, like you got tools in the twelve step program, but you got ideas in unity. Yes, yes. Ideas that that worked for you, that pointed you in a different direction, that that helped you uh, f- form a foundation for your your life. Yes, and a spiritual path that was practical and that was grounded. You know, when I got to Unity, it was like, this is how it was supposed to be. This is how Christianity was supposed to be. With You know, where did it go off the rails? Because to me, this is how it, it, it was it's supposed to be. We're supposed to um, begin to see ourselves as um, beloved children, beloved offspring of God, in whom, you know, she is so well pleased. That was the other thing that just blew my mind was Mother, Father, God. Wow, a feminine, we could call Mother, Father, God. We could call God Mother. We could, and it, it it's like suddenly became a God I could identify with. Um, and for a long time it was, you know, God when, when she, um, rather than he, because it was just so refreshing to me to to have that sense of God as mother, as she. Now, you know, God is principle, and, and in spiritual growth, you, you grow beyond that. But in, in terms of training wheels, I sure needed that, um, kind of to heal some of the, the hurt from my... And I guess the the shame and blame from carryovers from my Catholic upbringing, you know, because we weren't very good Catholics, and so I just always felt very embarrassed about that. My mother never went to church, and Mm. she'd converted, but she'd never really converted or bought into the whole Catholic thing. And so, you know, there was healing to do from from that experience for me as well. Um, And it's an ongoing process. With all of this, um, as we, you know, we continue to mature um, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally for things to come together even more. And that's, that's I think what Unity and 12-Step gave me were both tools for that to happen and to continue. So how do you get from where you were at that point to being a unity minister? <laughs> Good question. Um, well, it's really interesting. Um, I I remember in my graduate program in psychology, I had a professor who said to me, scarred hands heal. And he knew my story or some of it, and that gave me back the story as a healing story. 
And my journey in unity has been healing, emotional healing, right? Um, emotional maturity and emotional healing. And as a psychologist, there was, I could provide a path of healing, but it, it didn't have the spiritual component to it. And then, I think it was in 1996, I was at Unity Village, and Sky St. John was there as the minister. He was a retreat minister. And I started going to the village for retreats every time. Well, I had a real powerful spiritual awakening at Unity Village. And um, in 1990, the first time I went. And then I went again every year after that. And um, he said to me, well, you know you're coming back here. And I said, well, yeah, I come every summer. I go on retreats. And he said, no, you're coming back here. And it hit me that what he meant was that, you know, he could see a calling as a minister. And, of course, you know, I heard God calling, and my first response was, oh, hell no, wrong number. (laughs) (laughs) No way. (laughs) Are you kidding? And then I had to gradually kind of... uh, live into that, you know, lean into it and and try it on and and begin to say yes. But the process was a process of saying yes, and it didn't happen quickly. I mean, I was at the village and I was in the cottages that first, the night he said that, and um, he said it during the day, and then that night I could not sleep. I was just, it it had me, and I knew it. But I didn't want to. Well, I've always had a lot of resistance in my life, so I had to do. Um, that's when I started into the SEE classes and Eric Butterworth's book, "Discover the Power Within You" and the Law of Non-Resistance. You know, I really had to start learning much more about what Unity teaches, and I'd say that was my next evolution. That really changed me. I did the A and B classes at the village with, um, well, Tom Thorpe and Nancy, I think it was Linda, Ta- Linda Poole Kennedy, Nancy Taylor, I think it was, and um, Jim Rosemurgy, just these incredible teachers that kept opening my heart and opening me to even more. Um, it was a powerful wonderful way to do SEE for me. It was CEP when I started it. So that was a well, process. Well, it is a blessing that you've been able to continue on that path and, and plant all these seeds and heal the hearts that have come after you, that your willingness to share your story, um, your willingness to share the lessons learned, and I'm certain that uh, people that you encounter that have had similar experiences, um, you know, that you connect with them as well in, in this healing energy that you've, you've uh, tapped into. Um, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's a pretty phenomenal story, a pretty phenomenal journey when we get to walk into the light, yeah. into our calling. Yeah. So we're just about at the end of our time. I'm wondering if there's Anything in particular that you'd like to to share with the with the listeners, or anything particular that you want them to remember? Um, I think the most important thing is, um, well, there's an acronym in twelve step called AFBO. Um, another fun growth opportunity, and. The reality of life that I have um, experienced is that we keep experiencing those growth opportunities as we walk this path of life, of living. And every time one of those shows up as a obstinate person, as somebody who is, a, who is you feel like, has the enemy face or um, you just have a reaction to, 
you know, my experience has been that if I lean into it, that it's a growth opportunity for me, and I lean into it, um, there's a blessing. There's always been a blessing. It cracks my heart open a little more, and a little more of that light of the Christ is able to shine through. Um, I don't always like it, and every time, you know, we have the freedom to choose not to, to say no um, to those growth opportunities. And sometimes that's what I've wanted to say. But what really has been true and truths, capital truths for me, is say yes to those because they only open your heart even more. And they grow compassion and, and they bring you joy, ultimately. Well, thank you so much for those thoughts, and thank you for being here with us today and and sharing how you find your way into the light and to allow the light into you. And thank you, listeners. If you want to connect with us, you can do so on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to give us any feedback. And so we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Have a wonder-filled week. that the Buddha gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life. Did you know that Jesus gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that both these masters taught exactly the same thing? And guess what? They did not teach the law of attraction. They taught the great paradox of prosperity. You can have anything you want. Why, you can have things you don't even know you want, but not by wanting them. Instead, put your attention on the vibrant presence of the divine within. Do that and your life will change. It has to. That is the natural order. Want to crack the code on the great paradox? Get Janet Connors' The Lotus and the Lily. Available everywhere great books are sold. the saying a good deed is its own reward well moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward it will also reward you with vibrant health boundless energy an easy way to keep your weight where you want it and according to yogis and unity's co-founder charles fillmore even give a boost to your spiritual life on main street vegan the radio program named for the popular book Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. 
the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dendy smith and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.